welcome to the Smart Connector podcast, which looks at the power of connection in business and life. Featuring solo episodes as well as a range of exciting interviews with entrepreneurs across multiple sectors, we offer tips and advice to build your impact, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons, and become a Smart Connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. Welcome to the Smart Connector podcast. I have the most exciting guest for you. I can't believe that he's actually here with us. Welcome, John Cavallo. Thanks, Jane. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate being here. So John is an expert in business acquisition and empire building. So he's for all of you ambitious business owners out there who want to build an empire. So seven or eight figure and nine figure empire. That is really what John is all about. So John, love to hear your story. How did you get into this whole business of business acquisition? Sure. Yeah, no, I've been in kind of the M&A world for about 20 years now. It's kind of hard to say that because I feel younger than maybe I actually am, but worked my way, got my chartered accounts designation. I worked my way in corporate finance and business valuations. And then about 10 years ago, I broke off on my own, started my own advisory practice and was fortunate enough to run into a client that wanted to acquire a business. Him and I had some pretty good chemistry. So we decided to rather have that kind of client advisor relationship. We decided to become partners and acquire the business together. And before I knew it, we acquired 17 businesses over the period of seven years. I started that first acquisition of about $5 million and took it $240 million and then took it public after that. So that was set this journey of me being and reflecting that where I really thrive is working with what I call those empire builders, the people that want to really grow a business. I'm good at finance. I'm good at finding capital. And my partner was really good at kind of operations and, and just dealing and managing people. So it just it was a really good fit. And I just love finding that chemistry and kind of replicating that with others right now. So that's kind of how I've gotten into all of this. Wow. So there's a lot of special skills and technical skills as well that go into evaluating and buying businesses really, aren't there? And as you said, you had the right background, but did you find that you had to fine tune those skills and actually apply them in a different way once you started? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, there's a difference between advising on an acquisition and actually kind of signing the check when you're buying a business. There's different risks evaluations, different risk levels and tolerances. So it's really understanding that. And I think as the the guy that was actually being the person acquiring rather than just advising on it, you really have to think on the downside, like what could be the worst case scenario if this business didn't perform as you kind of originally expected, where I think when you're just advising, maybe that's not, doesn't hit you as hard, or you don't really pause and think about it as deeply as you would have I had personal guarantees involved in a lot of these acquisitions. So it just hits a little bit differently when you're the person that's actually doing it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people actually don't think about the risk. They see it from the outside and they think, oh, wow, that looks really exciting. But actually, there's a significant risk if you're signing personal guarantees on a business that you're buying, isn't there? Definitely, definitely, for sure. And at the end of the day, if anything falters and you have any sort of financing on a deal or an opportunity, the bank is going to come find some recourse on whatever they can personally. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of risk there. And also just reputational risk. 
you definitely don't want the opportunity to fail. There's livelihoods on the line. You're buying a business that employs a number of people. So you want to make it a success. And you think through all of those things, I think, again, a little bit more deeply than you would otherwise as just being an advisor. And you know, once the transaction is gone, you just move on. Or in this case, after we acquired it, we had to run it and to make it successful. Yes. So has it been plain sailing all the way? <laughs> I think I know the answer, no. but I'll give you the opportunity to answer that yourself. Yeah, no, definitely not. I mean, there's lots of ups and downs. The market that we're in has some cyclicality to it. So there's definitely some challenges there. To say that every acquisition we did went perfectly would be a total lie. So there's definitely challenges. There was some turnover in our businesses because, as you can imagine, doing 17 acquisitions in a short period of time, there's just lots of change. And sometimes people are hesitant with that change. Mm. So we found that there was turnover just because we created a culture that was very dynamic, that was never the status quo. It was always moving forward. And that was hard for some people. So yeah, it was, there was definitely challenges and obstacles along the way. And again, this is kind of the, in hindsight, I learned a lot of lessons and I'm trying to capture those lessons and trying to teach other entrepreneurs and other empire builders going forward, some of the lessons that we learned and how to navigate them. Yeah, because we don't just know these things instinctively, do we? I mean, we do have to learn from somewhere and there really isn't a, a lot of educational resource out there, I think, to equip people to do something like this, is there? I think there's lots of theoretical education. There's how do you do a business valuation? How do you the due diligence? What goes into a purchase and sale agreement? Mm -hmm. But there's some nuances that definitely aren't communicated in kind of an educational setting. And there's lots of, we already talked about, there's just lots of challenges and things that you can't really foresee at the onset of a journey like this. So it just takes that, the education and the experience, somebody that's been through it, provide that guidance and those, that companion guide to help someone through the process. Yeah. So did you specialize in a particular type of business or was there a type of business that you were actually looking for that you feel just right for you? I mean, we were very focused in our region. We are oil and gas industrial focused. So that was a consolidation that we did where we're mm -hmm. kind of businesses in that space. But I think there are definitely lessons learned that are industry agnostic that don't really pertain to an industry. They pertain more to like deal making and how do you get a deal completed and across the finish line. So I think those are the lessons that I want to teach is like more, more around deal making than any specific industry. But the other thing that I think is specific to what we did was that, and I was talking to somebody yesterday about this. And they had mentioned that mergers and acquisitions, people think of it as that as a very big business game, right? Where mm -hmm. it has to be a big business game. I think that a lot of mid-sized businesses can take these concepts and apply them and do an acquisition of a, a million, two million, five million dollar business, which in a lot of cases we think are in the MA world is pretty small. Mm -hmm. But for most businesses, that would really move the needle and really be create exponential growth and help a business kind of get, as we talked about earlier, and you mentioned earlier, to that eight, nine figure size business. Yeah. So in terms of, you were talking about obviously oil and gas being a very specific industry and then about there being general kind of principles. What would you say that you looked for, first of all, in the oil and gas businesses that you acquired that was specific to that sector? And then what lessons did you learn that would be specific to any sector? 
Yeah, great question. I think specifically to the types of deals we were doing, we mm -hmm. were looking for more capital intensive businesses. So businesses that had a large asset base. Yeah. A lot of times those businesses aren't in favor, so to speak, like people want low capital intensive businesses. And the reason that we looked at, at capital intensive businesses is because a, there was less risk if anything went wrong in the business. So if the business went sideways or we couldn't execute on kind of the operations, there was asset base there that we could liquidate, turn into cash, and it, that might help operations. So that was one thing that we looked at. Yeah. It also helped us with financing. It's easier to go to a bank and say, well, buying a business for $8 million and it has $6 million of equipment in there that we can finance against. Yeah. So it was a little bit easier to finance those businesses as well. Yes. And truthfully, my business partner had really good expertise in that space. He knew equipment. He knew kind of how to manage equipment, maybe a little bit better than the previous owner. So we just felt that we could succeed in that space for us. So that was one mm. very specific kind of acquisition type that we were looking for with regards to the oil and gas industry that we were consolidating. Yeah. So what about the general principles that would apply across any different business sector? How about those? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think we're really good at finding opportunities. Mm -hmm. A lot of times business owners will come to me and say, I just don't know where to find opportunities. I don't know how to source a whole bunch of potential acquisition targets. So we got really good at finding those deals. And on top of that, we got good at evaluating the deals that we felt had a higher probability of closing on reasonable terms. Mm -hmm. there, there's lots of business owners that have maybe higher expectations than the market might bear. So we quickly would get to offers with those people and assess, okay, is this a deal that we wanna spend the next five to six to 10 months to a year trying to close? Or is it something that we just have a pretty good sense that the owner is kind of just kicking tires and we need to move on? So, I mean, we would probably look at about 20 opportunities a month and right. make offers on five and then land on one that we were like, okay, this is a deal that we can close. So wow. it became a really good process that I think is that you can replicate in industries. And in fact, I think you have to replicate if you really want to be a serial acquirer and become this empire builder that we're talking about. Yeah, that's really interesting. So empire building requires looking at evaluating and offering on a volume of deals. That's the message that I'm getting. Is that right? I think so. I think so. I think you have, it gives you the ability to compare across a number of opportunities. So you might find two businesses that have similar operations, similar size, but one deal is frankly cheaper than the other one and offers better terms and the owner's a little bit more motivated. So you don't get that if you're only looking at one opportunity at a time. So you need to have that, that universe of, of deals and opportunities and that sourcing funnel that's coming to you so you can evaluate multiple, just multiple targets. Yeah. So geographically, were you very specific or does, did the geolocation not matter? There were a few different geographies that we wanted to get into. So yeah. we would target specific regions when we wanted to expand. That was one of our reasons for doing acquisitions is to get into different regions and then deliver our service lines into those regions. Yeah. So that was definitely kind of a criteria that kind of fueled and, and fueled our reasons for growth and our reasons for expansion. 
Yeah. And also you mentioned the terms, John, and you mentioned that some deals were were cheaper than others. So was it because obviously I've been through the acquisition process as well, and we were in a position where we had a number of buyers that were actually competing for our business because fortunately we did have a very profitable business and it was a very niche business that would complement their group, let's just say. So, but we didn't actually dictate the terms they dictated the terms to us and then we chose. So how does it kind of work when you say that? Do some business businesses come to you and say, well, this is what we're offering. And then do you go back to them and say, well, actually, this is what we think you're worth and this is what we'd like to offer. Is it a dialogue or is it generally kind of fairly cut and dried? Definitely a dialogue. I mean, you have to have that expectation on what the owners want. And again, I think that's the benefit of doing a lot of acquisitions is that you can come to an owner and say, well, our last four deals we did were in this fashion and we closed them and we had the capital to do it and it's worked out so far. So us doing your deal in this kind of similar fashion makes sense. So there's almost like that confirmation bias that the owner can just say, well, okay, they did the last three deals that way. So I'm trusting that they can do my deal the same way. So it gives a little bit of a, I don't want to call it a cookie cutter approach, but it definitely was a little bit easier for us to replicate kind of deal structures and deal terms. And our banks understood kind of what our deals look like. And then we just had validation on, again, the valuation, the deal terms, the structure, how we were going to integrate. It was all validated because we had experience in doing other deals. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of people out there that they might have similar skills to yours and they might really want to build an empire, but they're not doing it. So there must be an element of mindset there, surely. They're just the ability to think big in a way. Yeah. Um, truthfully, that's what my partner had. I have an accounting background by trade, so I'm a little bit more on the, the risk aversion side, although my mindset has shifted, obviously, over this journey that I've been on. But you're right. It is definitely a mindset thing. It's a think big. It's a seeing opportunities in light of obstacles, right? And, and understanding that the obstacles are there, but finding being more of a solution solver rather than kind of a, a problem identifier. Yeah. So it's, you definitely need to shift that mindset to say, okay, I see this obstacle. I know there's going to be obstacles. I know that doing deals are going to be challenging, but I can get over them. And then also, this is how I would mitigate risk on the other side. So being I'm really thoughtful on how to mitigate risk. And that's important. And that's something that I try to teach and communicate to people that I work with. Yeah. And I think that's a point that you made earlier about always being conscious of the downside as well. And of course, there is always going to be a potential downside. So do you find that some people get very challenged by actually thinking about the downside and it puts them off the deal? Or do you feel as though most people manage to achieve a balanced approach where they're looking at the upside, they're looking at the downside, they're kind of balancing the two, and then they just get ready to go ahead and make a decision? Yeah, I think I find people on both ends of the spectrum, people like entrepreneurs are normally optimistic. So they're always yeah. seeing the upside. Yeah. And this is where my partner and I had a really good kind of yin and yang going on because I would, right. he would see the upside and I would kind of see the risks and he was really good at problem solving on those risks. And I was good on kind of articulating those risks into a deal transaction. Yeah. So there was yeah. a really good kind of balance there. Mm. And I think really good deal makers either have that balance or they find people on their team that can create that balance. 
Mm. But you definitely do have to have both to get deals across the finish line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So M&A is a great way to empire build. Could it also be a way of eliminating the competition? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we didn't really kind of run into that because we were doing deals smaller end of the scale. So, Mm -hmm. and we actually didn't want to be like, we didn't want to be in an industry where we were the only ones that had full market share of that industry. We actually wanted some competition and we just wanted to be better than our competition. So there could be a comparison from our customers, but on the smaller end, you're probably capturing some market share, but maybe not eliminating competition entirely. I think those are kind of the mega mergers, the billion dollar mergers that can kind of achieve that where something has been built to a big enough size that it has enough market share that you could just take them out. That's definitely a bigger transaction. Yeah, definitely. I don't really think it's possible to eliminate competition in most instances these days. I think it's to do with differentiating yourself from the competition and actually maybe actually getting like a critical mass so that you're able to do that. You actually have the resources. And of course, that is also the thing about acquisition and empire building, isn't it? It's consolidation of resources so that you can achieve a better market share, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's lots of reasons for consolidation. We talked about the one where it's moving into different geographies. There's moving into different products or services. Mm-hmm. There, the consolidation is definitely one, right? Where you're bringing, you're gaining market share, but you're maybe cutting out where there's a company that has two HRs, you're cutting out one of the HRs and saving costs. So there's some cost synergies there. So there's lots of reasons for acquisitions. And again, I mean, I work with my clients very you know, at the onset to, to really dig deep into why are you doing an acquisition? What is the purpose of it? And that really kind of dictates the journey that you're going to take throughout the process. Yeah. So what about cultural fit, John? I mean, how important is that? And I certainly know when we were acquired, we were just expected to assume a new culture when when it happened. And it was like, well, wait a minute. We were actually acquired. We were very much a London-centric design company, and we were acquired by a very corporate US communications group. And the cultures were actually quite different. So do you sometimes find that, that there's a kind of culture clash when businesses get acquired and they've been used to doing things a certain way? Definitely. Yeah. When we, and I'll preface this by saying that we probably weren't the best at building culture. We kind of identified ourselves as being an acquirer. So we were consolidating and our culture almost took on the identity of that exactly, like being someone that is rapidly changing. And again, people either accept change or they really struggle with it. So the people that stayed on with our acquisitions were the people that were accepting of change that kind of liked that faster pace. So as we grew, we almost built the culture simultaneously with the acquisitions that we did. The other thing that we did, and maybe you can probably speak to this too, Jane, but the culture is really kind of from top down, right? It's kind of the leadership vision. It is. And I don't know what the structure of your transaction was, but if you were staying on with that transaction you would still hold on to that culture and drive it maybe locally within your London office. And we found that in our deal structures, we kept a lot of kind of the ownership team. They almost Mm -hmm. became partners in our acquisitions. So they drove kind of the cultures locally. So that didn't really change all that much. It was just kind of the, the pace at which things happened changed. That came either challenging or very exciting for people that stayed on. Yeah. So did you get any consultants to help you, for example, with this issue of change? Because as you said, any 
merger or acquisition, it does create change, definitely. It is a change. It is a catalyst for people doing things differently or seeing things differently or whatever. So did you ever get people to help you with that or did you just tend to manage it yourself? Yeah, we tend to manage it ourselves. We, mm -hmm. in hindsight, maybe, maybe we would have brought in some consultants just to think about how we want to build the culture moving forward. But again, really our culture kind of grew as we grew. So it was actually kind of fun to see how it morphed and, and how it kind of became something as we got bigger. If I would have gone back, I would have made it a little bit more intentional, but in the end it worked out and I'm happy with culture that we developed and I'm happy with the people that stuck around because they really kind of embody what we were trying to achieve. Yeah. So what would you say your biggest lesson over the last few years has been in doing this work? Mm, that's a really good question. I think the biggest lesson is that more people can do it. I think, again, it's not a big business game. Yeah. It's almost easier at kind of a smaller levels because the valuations are a little bit lower. There's more businesses to choose from. So it's not like $5 million business. There's going to be a lot of competition for $5 million business. So again, the valuation be lower. You could probably get better deal terms. Managing the integration of a $5 million business is probably a lot easier than $100 million business. That's the biggest thing is that tacking on a lot of small acquisitions is a really kind of great way to exponentially grow for that mid-sized business. That was one of my biggest lessons learned is that more business owners, more kind of mid-sized businesses in the lower middle market space or the middle market space should be doing this yeah. and can be doing this. So why do you think they don't? I think a lot of it is just maybe that thought that it is, oh, this is only for like $100 million businesses plus. I think it's not easy. It's definitely hard finding the businesses. It's hard. Valuation is not easy. Finding the capital is not easy. So it's hard. It's hard work. I'm not saying that you just kind of roll into this and, and overnight you can acquire businesses. I think it's challenging. I think it's hard. I don't think it's easy. I don't think there's a lot of great education out there on how to do it. Yeah. I feel like advisors, including myself previously, just get in when there's a deal on the go, but nobody helps kind of start the process. So yeah. there's no real holistic offering out there that really guides somebody to educate them on what they need to do to think through how to start an acquisition yeah. and then follow through all the way to sourcing, to valuations, to offers, to closing. So that's yeah, I don't think that offering is out there right now. Yeah. Do you think some people feel it's lack of finance that is holding them back? I mean, if they think this sounds like an amazing strategy, I would like to build my business. It would be fantastic if I could acquire this business, that business. I'm sure that all of us entrepreneurs have had that thought at some point, but it's just a question of where to start and how to access the finance. I think that holds a lot of people back. Do you find that? Yeah, I think it's all of it. Where do I find the businesses to buy? When I do find the businesses, what do I pay? Like, and how do I structure a deal? And then where do I get the money to do it? So those are all necessary questions that you need to find answers to. And I think it's daunting for some when they just don't know where to start or they've never done it before. So, I mean, that's really where people like you come in, right? Because people <laughs> need to learn, don't they? From people who've been there and done it. And they are mentors really in this space. Yeah, for sure. So I'm not involved in the day-to-day -day operations of my business anymore. They found way smarter people to kind of manage and grow the business from here. But I have wanted to kind of replicate and recreate 
that magic that my partner and I had yeah. where I was working with empire builders and educating them on where to start and how to execute on an acquisition. So I've kind of developed a program that I call the acquisition playbook that tries to provide this holistic approach, right? Thinking about strategy, thinking about sourcing, thinking about valuation. I offer it on kind of a peer-to-peer cohort basis. So there's benefits of learning from others that are going through the process as well. Yeah. And just kind of gets me in that that world of, of working again with really great entrepreneurs that are excited about growth in their business. Yeah. Great, great place to be. So we've got another question here, John, if that's okay. Yeah, for sure. So what's John's view on the buyer stating their valuation of the business first? If the owner will not state what they want for their business, is it a weakness? I don't think so. I think that was one of our strengths was getting to valuation quickly and not being, not worrying about offending anybody. Like this is just business. So we wanted to do an acquisition that was fair, but was something that we knew that we could get across the finish line, right? We didn't want to put offer that was really high and then come to a point and say, hey, we thought about this again. We just can't do it. We can't find the capital. We can't get this closed. So I think either way, you have to come to a price. And sometimes I've worked with people that dance around that. Like they talk about how great the businesses would be together, how the cultures are amazing fits, how they love working with each other, how perfect the opportunity would be to acquire the business. They never come to like the dollars and cents of it, right? Like, okay, what am I actually going to pay for this? How am I going to get the money for it? What is the bank going to finance? So I think you need to get to the, that quickly. And that was kind of our secret was that we put offers in front of people really fast. Yeah. Offers that we knew that were fair given yeah. our experience in the market. We weren't trying to lowball anybody. And we tried to make it win win for us and the seller. So amazing. <laughs> I love that. So, what would you say about international acquisitions? Because you're in Canada, aren't you, John? So, yeah. in terms of the financing of international deals, for example, Is it more challenging to buy a business that's actually outside your own country, for example? Could be, for sure. I mean, just especially now with COVID and international travel, so diligence would be definitely difficult. Mm -hmm. Financing, where are you going to get the financing? Will you get the financing from a local partner that's willing to kind of enter into a different geographic region is kind of a consideration. Just the managing, how do you manage a remote workforce? Jane, you went through that, right? With the acquirer being in the US. So there's just that challenges of not being boots on the ground, trying to just be there to project manage the integration and kind of that transition of culture. So there are more challenges for sure internationally, but it's definitely could be done. We did an acquisition, one of our biggest acquisitions down in the US. We already had some operations in the US, so logistically it made it a little bit easier, but it was a little bit more challenging than our other local acquisitions. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly when we got bought, it was very popular for US businesses to acquire companies like ours, media businesses really in Europe, because they wanted to increase their international footprint. And obviously Europe is a high value area. So, I mean, I saw that happen a lot, but I just interested really to hear from your perspective how whether people do that a lot these days 
Definitely. I mean, North America and Europe, like M&A is at, I think, the all-time high. So there's definitely a lot of acquisitions happening. Mm-hmm. Again, world circumstances right now, I think cross-border makes it a little bit more difficult for travel with restrictions and everything. So that could be challenging, but so much stuff is doing virtually too now. So you can kind of get all your confirmatory due diligence done virtually and online. And then kind of when you're finalizing and closing the deal, having that face-to-face. So Yeah, this new digital age is, I think, even going to increase the velocity of international transactions. Yeah, yeah, powerful. So, John, let's just talk a little bit about you personally, because we've talked a lot about business, but I'm sure that our viewers and our listeners are also curious about you as a person. So, I mean, where did you grow up? How did it all start? How did you get the instinct for this exciting entrepreneurial activity? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. So I've always been lived here in, in Canada, in Edmonton, Alberta. I've kind of always had an like an educational mindset. I've loved education. I loved going through university. I loved my studies in getting my chartered accounting designation. And I'm a chartered business valuator, which is the valuation designation here in Canada. I've always loved that. And I've always felt that and confirmed it with the chemistry with my partner that I'm good at finding capital. I'm good at putting together deals. And then, you know, all of that just came together with my love for education now where I'm educating people on doing acquisitions. So I read a book the other day where it just talks about life being being like you're on a river and it's a journey where the river just kind of takes you in different locations. And that's kind of how I feel. Like I've always loved that education piece and it's kind of coming full circle where my experiences have allowed me to create an educational resource for something that I'm good at and that I also love doing. So can't get any better than that, right? (laughs) No, yeah, you're right. Yeah, something that you love doing and you're also good at. That's great, isn't it? Happy days. Yeah, they are happy days. Amazing. So let's talk about the acquisition playbook, John, because this is something that you've created to help other entrepreneurs build their empires and acquire businesses too, right? That's right. Yeah. I wanted to find a more accessible way for entrepreneurs to kind of explore this strategy obviously takes a lot of time, resources, energy to jump into an acquisition. And on the advisory side, it's also not cheap, right? So you would get somebody to do valuation, you get somebody to do diligence. In a lot of cases, majority of deals actually don't get across the finish line for whatever reason. So I wanted to create kind of best practices, again, looking at the hindsight and the lessons learned from my experience on building our business over the last decade and put them into a real concise and and articulated program that can help entrepreneurs. So I call that the acquisition playbook. Again, it's a cohort of entrepreneurs. I offer the cohort monthly. I tried to make it really intimate. So it's like five to 10 entrepreneurs in each cohort. It's over a period of two months and it covers acquisition strategy, deal sourcing, valuations and offers, due diligence and closing. So it covers all aspects of deal making. And it's just offered in, in a lot more of an economical way. It's not like $100,000 to go through a potential acquisition that might fail. So it's, it's a lot more economical way. And then you also get that peer-to-peer experience, which I think is very valuable and, and just fun. It's exciting and it's fun. Oh, it sounds absolutely amazing. So who would be your ideal client then, would you say, for the acquisition playbook? Yeah. So executives of mid-market businesses, Mm-hmm. that are either considering doing an acquisition or even in the middle of an acquisition and they just need kind of some guidance and some help on how to do it. So that would be the target is those executives 
either the CEO or the CFO, and I actually offer two seats for each company. So if the CEO and the CFO wanted to jump on cohort, that would be a good fit. So I think it sounds absolutely amazing, actually. It's just, I really do believe that some people just need a helping hand, don't they? And people think, I think, People often think this would be really good for my business, and but they don't take action because they're just not quite sure where to go or how to do it. And so they just, for a long time, they just go around thinking, I'd love to do this. This will be really good for my business. I wonder how people do this. And so you really have put together a program that is perfect for those people, haven't you? I think so. I'm yeah. proud of kind of the program and, and the content in it. And I also love kind of building a community again, of entrepreneurs. And then also within the program, I try to bring in guest speakers. And Jane, maybe you can be a guest speaker telling us about your experience on the integration side, because I think a lot of business owners would love to hear that. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of value and a lot of benefit to building that community of like-minded entrepreneurs that are kind of barking on a similar journey. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Because you can share wisdom, experience, trials, tribulations. There's nothing like it really. It makes it so powerful, doesn't it? It does, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, John, if our audience want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Yeah. They can reach me at john at divestopedia.com. So I haven't mentioned Divestopedia, but that's a website and a resource that I have for middle market entrepreneurs that are wanting to learn about middle market M&A. So that's uh, john at divestopedia.com would be the best way to reach me. Amazing. Or of course, on LinkedIn, you've got a good profile on LinkedIn as well. Fantastic. Well, all I wanted to say is thank you so much, John. It's been such a pleasure to have you join us tonight. Well, or today as it is in Canada. So thank you so much for all your wisdom and experience. It really has been amazing. You've been a brilliant guest. Anybody that wants to get in touch with John and learn more about his acquisition playbook, then definitely, yeah, just definitely get do that because he's the real deal. So thank you again, John, and look forward to speaking to you again soon. Same, Jane. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to rate and review my podcast as it will help me bring the power of connection to the world. I work one-to-one to help entrepreneurs ignite the power of authentic connection in their businesses and lives. I also help them accelerate their results through attracting and converting more of their ideal clients. And if this is something you'd like to do too, why not head on over to www.idealclientsuccess.com masterclass and I'll show you how.